And so what we do with the land, we do to ourselves. What's been done to our relationship with the land, we then perpetuate on ourselves and on our babies. And it's it's really fucking heartbreaking, Amber. It's really sad that it's become kind of countercultural to mother in a way that the ancient mothers have since time immemorial. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth together. I am Amber Magnolia Hill, and today I'm sharing my interview with Amy Aroha. Our modern disconnection from land and lineage mirrors the culturally normal but biologically abnormal separation between mother and baby, parents and children. The consequences of these intertwined attachment wounds are vast, but many of us are dreaming into a different way forward. Let us speak truthfully about what isn't working, exit the systems that break our sacred bonds to the earth and to one another, and heal into the wholeness that is our ancestral inheritance. A little brief update on my upcoming retreat. It is going to be a forest bathing eco retreat the company is calling it in costa rica with me september 23rd through 28th tickets are available now and so we can get right into this just beautiful and heart-opening mind-blowing interview i will wait to give you the details until after the interview so if you're interested stay tuned after the interview, to hear more in the outro. Amy is a free birthing, free schooling, homesteading mother of Maori, Irish, and Scottish descent. She lives with her partner and three babes in the Northern Rivers, Australia. Amy is a qualified counselor, but has used her training to divest from the mainstream system and create her own therapeutic modality. Transpersonal birth mentoring is a modality that blends holistic counseling and art therapy with birth reverence and support. It understands birth as central to human wellness and as a roadmap we can use for all manner of life's transitions. Amy works largely with mothers and women on the childbearing continuum who are seeking to liberate themselves from outdated systems and ways of being. She believes that when birth is revered once again, And when mothers and babies are well, strong, and supported, we will reshape the culture and bring balance back to the earth. There are two Patreon bonuses available for patrons of this podcast at patreon.com slash medicine stories. The link will be in the show notes. As always, there's quite a few links in the show notes for this episode because so much of what Amy and I speak about has been touched on before on this podcast. And so I'm linking to past episodes if you want to dive further into some of these topics, which are just so rich and important for these times. So the first bonus at Patreon is an extended conversation with Amy. We talk about how being together is our generational healing rejecting the value system that's been normalized, raising creative and resilient humans for a new future, 
and indigeneity, resistance, and the oldest culture on earth. The second bonus is just a brief audio recording of me sharing personal stories related to what came up in this conversation. Stories of my family's meandering journeys with sleep and schooling, the myth of childhood independence, and I share some resources for navigating the teen years. Things might come up in this conversation that bring up emotions for many people. Some people will get triggered listening to this. I've been speaking about the physiologic design of birth and holding the vision for truly peaceful, nonviolent, empowering births on the internet for 15 years. And especially in this modern era where people feel like they're being victimized, attacked, or shamed when people share stories that are different than what they experienced. You can tell if you listen that that is not the energy with which Amy and I approach these topics, that we are talking about systems here and not individuals. We are talking about the failing of systems and not the failing of individuals. You will hear this if you listen. Amy birthed her oldest in the hospital. I had my baby in a crib for a time. I'm just saying these things because if you are someone who tends to be easily triggered, you might hear the things we say in this podcast and falsely assume that we are casting judgment or that we have made the most perfect choices from the beginning and we have not. But we have learned from our stories and our experiences and we are no longer afraid to speak physiological truth on the internet. With that said, I hope you love this conversation as much as I did, as much as I do. I revere Amy so much for the work she's doing in the world. And it was truly beautiful to share my oldest daughter's birth story with her spontaneously and the big emotional release that we both shared during that. And yeah, again, I'm here to hold the space and the vision for what can be in birthing. And so is Amy. Amy, welcome to Medicine Stories. As I have told you, you've been a much requested guest. Um, so we're finally doing it. Thank you for being here. I love that so much. That feels really nice. And I'm so happy to be here. I love following you on Instagram. Uh, you inspire me mostly as a parent, as a mother, and especially around parenting outside the system, living outside the system, um, doing things differently than the way we were raised. Yeah. And like this, this post you recently did about when the elders in your family give you advice or sort of look down on you for the way you're parenting, Instead of internalizing that, which is so easy for all of us to do, you know, especially around parenting, which is so fraught to think, oh, I'm doing something wrong, or maybe, maybe they're right. Even though this feels good for me intuitively, maybe they are right. You stop and think, well, what is their relationship like with their grown kids now? That, and that gives us all the information we need 
right? It's like, what are my values? What am I establishing in this foundation of raising my babies so that our relationship continues on into their adult life in a healthy way, right? And so I could look at my elder relative and see her relationship with her adult children that was very void of love, void of communication, no touch, no verbal expressions of love. And I see, I don't want that. I don't, this is not what we're doing this time, but I see you and I see the young mother that you were when you believed that was the only way. Uh, her exact words were, you'll make a rod for your own back. What does that I mean? I don't understand that. So it's a, it's a saying, I don't know if you guys have this saying, but in Australia, it's like, you know, you're making a rod for your own back. You're creating a burden for yourself. Mm-hmm. So to be able to re- relax, you're always going to have to have this child. And yeah, that was in response to me co-sleeping and comfort feeding and all of the things that come directly from the primal brain and flow so easily through us. And I saw her as a young woman in a heavily patriarchal marriage in a very patriarchal time, alone, mothering multiple children. She really had no choice. She was under-resourced, you know, unsupported. Um, She had to put those babies alone in the room. So she felt, you know, alone in their bedroom to cry it out. She had to cut off breastfeeding. She had no choice. She was under-resourced. I'm not under-resourced. I don't have to do it that way just to sort of acknowledge the women in my work. And this is such a huge theme for them that I feel like I am countercultural in how I'm parenting. And it's really hard, really hard to continue on that path that we feel intuitively and on a primal level. Um, It's one of the main things, one of the main themes that we explore in my mother mentoring sessions. It's so huge. And so how are you resourced in ways that she isn't or she wasn't? Like, how can we create resource for ourselves as modern mothers when so many of us feel so depleted and unsupported? So firstly, I'm aware of my trauma. I'm aware of what my imprints are from my early trauma and from the trauma from my, of my lineage. I'm aware of what that is. I'm aware of the systems under which I exist, under capitalism and patriarchy, I'm aware of sexism and all of these aspects of modernity that influence how we feel about ourselves as women and mothers and families. So my partner is also on doing that work. Um, so I have a partner who is very in tune. We have a union based on equality. And of course, that shifts so much of our capacity, right? When we have a partner who isn't, what's the word that I was using yesterday? You know, we're, men are socialized into incompetence when it comes to fatherhood and partnership. It's almost a, a cultural joke, right? How incompetent men are. And it's, it's not true. Men are extremely competent. Men are deserving of being wonderful fathers and connected fathers and beautiful partners but it's this cultural norm and this cultural joke that it's okay for men to be incompetent. I don't accept that. And my partner doesn't accept that either. And so that's been a huge piece for us is how do we establish a relationship, a union built on equality 
and I feel like we're doing a really good job at that. And so that's number one, I'm, I'm supported in my partnership. I have an awareness of the lies and the colonization of the mind that has made us believe motherhood is servitude only and martyrdom. Um, and so while I'm still on the path of unpacking all that and finding new creative ways to mother and to create my life, I'm aware of it. And it's that in that awareness that we, we start to cultivate power. It's when we are unaware of these things that we end up going with the flow, right? The flow of the culture. So I don't believe in going with the flow. We don't go with the flow. We are creating a new flow, a new flow that many of us have never experienced, have never seen through, you know, mothers in our own line or in family dynamics that are normalized in our culture. We're creating a whole new flow. I th- I'm so interested in the the partner piece because you and I both also have an oldest child whose father we're no longer with. Right. And so we've, we've been there. And I mean, like all the mom groups I'm in, it's like, everything is about the deadbeat dad or how unsupported the woman is by the, by the partner. And I I just think all the time, like, I just want to take all the young women and like, and look them in the eye and say, I know this is like so hard to take seriously when you're your age and when you're in love, but fucking choose the right partner. It makes all the difference in, in how your life unfolds. And then when you're having to undo the mess of having chosen the wrong person to have a child with, I mean, that is, that is major. And that really is draining of energy. And when I look at, you know, any, any measure of success that someone might see in my life or that I feel in my life, and I tell my husband this all the time, I'm like, it's because of you. It's because of our partnership. It's because of the way we lift each other up and support each other and having done motherhood in two very different ways with two very different partners. Gosh, I just, I wish we could, I wish everyone was healthy. I wish everyone was emotionally healthy so that this wasn't an issue that young women and young men have to think about when they're partnering up and having babies. And I I love what you said that, you know, first of all, you're aware of your generational trauma. Let's, I, I think this generation of young ones, and I have a 16 year old daughter, my goodness, her and her friends, their awareness of their generational trauma, the language that they use because their parents have all been in therapy for a long time. You know, I see that it's very different than our generation and older generations. And I think like, oh, that, that gives me hope. Yes. Because what we've been doing for so long is responding to the culture, right? Like responding, creating our lives based on a response to the cultural messaging and the systems under which we live. And so now we want to shift into a space of, well, I create my life. I'm creating my life. I am not responding. My life is not a response to this toxicity that has been normalized in our culture. And so we all have a role to play in how relationship dynamics play out and the kind of foundation that we set within a union, right? And I'm not speaking here to domestic violence and and abuse where where someone is the abuser and someone is being abused. That's a different conversation. But these sort of normalised ways of connecting and being in relationship, right? Women and girls are so socialised into this sort of bizarre martyrdom where anything that is feminised is devalued within this society. So therefore we believe mothering has no value. 
and then men are socialized into the same and they're socialized out of their fathering, right? Out of being a nurturing, tender-hearted, masculine father. And so then we come together and we're all carrying these stories that have been told to us in many different manifestations for many, many generations. And we're trying to create healthy love and healthy union and a strong foundation from which to raise children. It's it's an unreasonable expectation unless we are holding deeply onto our awareness of these things because we are all heavily wounded by this culture, heavily wounded. And we all, you know, most of us, the vast majority, have deep, deep attachment wounds that come from our lineage, that come from the way we were born, the way we were mothered or parented in early childhood and infancy. So if we can come in, you know, like this young generation who have an awareness of that and to be in that in a vulnerable way together, to let those wounds actually meet in union is a beautiful thing and it allows us to create rather than just respond. And even the rare lucky folks who don't have attachment wounds from their own parents or birthing to be so lucky, we have that with the land, right? We've, we're all, most of us, almost all of us are cut off from, from the land. Yes. Yes. And that is our first attachment wound, right? Like that is the first cut as my teacher, um, Dr. Rocio Rosales would say, that is the first cut to our connection, right? And it's not just the connection to the land that gets cut, it's the connection to the spirit because the land is the spirit and we are the land and we are the spirit. And so that's our first cut. And it's a really delicate conversation with so much nuance and complexity, right? Because there are very, there are active things right now. There is still so much trauma and violence being inflicted upon Indigenous people and Indigenous lands right now. And then I think it's really important to sit with the reality that we all came from the land at one point. In my culture, we call it tangata whenua, right? Like the people of the land. And the longer that we allow that sever, that cut, that first cut to continue on, the longer we remain in the wound, the longer we perpetuate the violence, right, on ourselves and on each other in big and small ways, in overt and covert ways. Because the land, the disconnection from land, mirrors the disconnection that we see of babies from their mums, right? It's constantly, it's just different versions of this same wound that's playing out in our culture, in the dominant culture at least. Yeah, something I sit with a lot and 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 still figuring out how to speak to and how to um, connect with others about is, you know, we have to return to our land-based ancestry and culture. It's really difficult for people who it's colonization. They were colonized so long ago, right? So, so many years. They don't know. We don't know. They don't know where they come from, but to at least sit with the knowing that we belong. I I do belong. And at one point, my people knew they belonged because a well and healthy people do not cross the seas to invade, violate, and perpetuate genocide upon another people. Well, healthy people do not do that. Traumatized people do that. And the quicker that we can 
realize that we must remember we are all people of the land. We are all Earth's children. The quicker we can heal collectively, the quicker we can listen to our First Nation leaders and hear what they're saying because the knowledge is closer for them. They have the connection. The connection hasn't been as severed. So the sooner that we can remember we are children of the land, we are all Tangata Whenua somewhere, then the quicker we can come back to our humility and listen to the leaders that need to be guiding us home, right? guiding us toward the future now, which is our First Nation Indigenous leaders. I'd love to circle back to parenting and babies and birth and motherhood, but I... I want to know more about your ancestry. I, I've loved the little bits and pieces I've picked up on Instagram. And I know that you, yeah, you have words in the language. I want to know about your mother and your father and how you connect in with, with these lineages. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I'm mixed race. My father is Maori and my mother is of Irish and Scottish descent. Father's side has some Scottish in there as well. So I was raised, uh, my mum was single mum and I was raised here in Australia uh, with my mum and my father, but they were separated. And there's deep, deep wounding on on both sides there, very much so. Uh, My father left Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, to escape the life that he found himself living, which was one that steeped in violence and um, self-harm and abuse and sadly it's in his generation it's a very common story to be find yourself in a violent cycle and again this comes back to that severance from the land right severance from your culture so my father grew up in Aotearoa and he was separated very intentionally from Leo Maori which is the Maori language and from his tikanga, which is our customs. So um, you would be beaten for speaking te reo Māori. Even my grandmother, who could speak fluently, would not, because at that time in history, it wasn't okay. It was shameful to practice and to speak. And this is my grandmother, right? So this isn't generations, generations, generations ago. This is my grandmother. Her name is Panawaka. And so dad came over here, met my mom, they fell in love, they had me, and it was instilled in me from a very young age, we are Māori, but we don't, we don't know. We don't know really how to speak. We don't know really what that means for us in a modern context, living off our land. We don't know. And so it was channeled very much in into unhealthy rebellion. Right? So... How can I explain? My father was very angry at society and very anti-establishment, yeah? And so that's how I was raised with this, like, deep rage, deep rejection of what was normalised, like this knowing that that what is happening is not right. This isn't normal. This isn't how we should be living, but I don't know how we should be living. I don't know what that means for us as people. And so I always sort of romanticised what it meant to be Māori and what it would mean if I had have grown up in Aotearoa and how things would have been different for me. And of course, now as a woman, I know, you know the wounding transcends. It's there too. It's back, it's back there too. Because when you disconnect a people from their land and from their language, that's a spiritual, that's spiritual warfare. 
and all Indigenous people around the world have experienced this kind of warfare perpetuated against their their culture. So my dad ended up travelling, going back. So before my eldest daughter was born, he had been living in a van around here in Australia for many years and then decided to move back to Australia. And he moved on to Almarai. So Almarai is meeting, it's like a meeting place. So it's our ancestral land. So we have one Almarai, which is a big, a big building, um, like a hall that has carvings and pictures of all our relatives and ancestors that have passed. And we have our graveyard there and he lived there and started living on the land for many years and reclaiming his reo, reclaiming his language, and he did, he's doing that work for us. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that's been really beautiful, really necessary, really necessary, and it gives us permission now to, it gives me more permission Right. And, and sometimes I sit so much in imposter syndrome around my culture and I think that's what they want, right? Like that was the purpose of cultural genocide is to um, breed, out, breed out the culture, make us feel shame around claiming our culture and our language. And so I certainly carry that when I ask myself, well, what would my grandmother say? What would they say to me? They'd say, God, stop wasting your fucking time. You know, stop wasting time. Do what you know is right. Uh, my great-grandmother, Mariah Herapete, Herapete, she was jailed for throwing stones and fighting with the Pakia, the white people, the settlers who came to our land and were trying to take our land. She was sent to prison for fighting those people and standing for our lands. Um, she ended up dying of tuberculosis that she acquired through that time in prison. So I realized that rage is ancestral rage. It's important, sacred rage that I carried and that my father carried. And now it's time to channel it into something else, into something beautiful. That, and that's what really honors my ancestry. And that's what brings me back to the land and back to spirit. Yeah. It's getting, channeling that rebellion in a more healthy way. Yeah, channeling it into repair. And so have you been there? where your father moved to and have you taken your children there? Like what's your ideal future vision for how your kids get integrated? Yes. I've been back many times and my, with my eldest daughter. So a few times without her and then a few times with her. I mean, I would love to be over there, you know, to, to live there at least for a while but, um, you know, I'm in a co-parenting situation and, and that's not a possibility and it's not the season for that right now. That season will come. So we just want to go back and forth and, and be on the land where my ancestors have been and my relatives are and, you know, there's home. It's home. And I think that's the really beautiful thing about knowing and actually being able to go back to a place where you know your people have been for a long, long time and they've walked those beaches and it doesn't matter if you live on that land or not, or if you're just visiting, it's part of you. It's home and there's a comfort there. It's arms are there open to hold you. And I carry that in my body. Right. And that's something that I really, that really resonates with me and that I share a lot with my clients is our body is our ancestral land. Our body is our ancestors land, our mother home. Yeah. And so 
I carry that knowing as well, that even if I'm not on my feet, aren't on that soil or on that sand, like I am that soil and that sand. And how have you learned the language? Like how, what does that look like? Is it an ongoing process or do you like just have some words that feel the most powerful? And are you sharing that with your children? It will be life's work. I will only begin to scratch the surface because you look at the language, the language is a representation or a manifestation of the culture and the spiritual beliefs. Everything is related to nature, Papatunuku, to the earth. The way that a peoples speak is so integral to that cultural expression and that belief system and value system. Um, and it's so intricate and it's different from region to region. So I am like I kneel humbly, you know, and any word that I can say and and say it properly, I want or even improperly, right? Like I'm I'm gonna do that. And also just the music, like and listening to language, listening to Reo all the time is so so special for me and, and for the kid. They they love it. And my son especially has always, even before he came through, we saw a a woman who shared that he has a lot of his ancestors around him. And as soon as he came out, we birthed him at home. My mom came and saw him and was like, oh, my God, he looks exactly like your father. He was so dark. He looked exactly like a little version of my dad. It was truly bizarre. But, you know, it was funny because that's kind of really established. He's, he's really drawn back there and he's really drawn to grandfather. He's always talking about oh, my granddad, my grandfather, and they look really similar. So he's really been a driving force for me to claim more reo, to claim reo Māori more in my life. And, I mean, it's always the way, right? The kids, the kids lead us home. And do you feel a similar calling or interest in your uh, Scottish and Irish lineages and visiting those land masses? Yeah, thanks for asking because I've carried a lot of shame and confusion in my life about being mixed race. And obviously my connection is more is deeper and more available to me with my Maori ancestors and family and culture whereas it's so shut down, so disconnected on my maternal side. And then just sitting in that tension, right? Like being in that tension of colonized colonizer and like, where do I actually belong? Where do I exist? And wanting to squash or run away from that part because that part doesn't make as much sense to me now in, in the healing work that I'm doing for myself and my family. But now, you know, I see it's so integral to to go back there and to claim that too and to honour the land-based ancestors that I had who were full of magic, right, who were deeply connected to the land, Scottish and Irish peoples. It was, yeah, there's so much richness and magic and depth um, and connection to the land and spirit to be excavated through there as well. So that's a, an adventure that I'm just just embarking on just now as a, as a, a, a woman. It certainly was not something that I even considered when I was younger. I really felt shame about my my whiteness and coming from whiteness. And that's really, I feel a charge when I say that in my body and it feels really vulnerable to say that. But to hate whiteness or to want to move away from whiteness is to hate a part of myself. 
And that's not healing. That's not the work that needs to be done at this time on earth. We need to reconcile. Yes, we need to mourn. I need to mourn. I need to feel the grief. I need to make amends, right, on a spiritual level and actively in my life. But I, I we cannot carry the shame. Yeah, Lila June spoke to this really beautifully on this podcast many years ago. She was raised by her mother, who is Danae, and just told her whole life, ignore your white father's lineage just shameful, shut it down. And she was in ceremony one day and those ancestors came to her and she realized like, no, this is part of me too. And this is also a sacred lineage, even though there was shit that went down. um, I can't just shut it down. And I think about this all the time in this sort of larger cultural conversation that is trying to convince everyone that there are people who are oppressors and there are people who are oppressed and how that is ignoring the the bodies of so many people who carry mixed lineages. And like, I mean, how does that even feel for, you know, it's come up on the podcast numerous times, including Tamira Cousset, who's mixed race, African, and I don't know, European. And so like you were saying earlier, like that those land masses and our ancestors are in our bodies. They're in our bodies. So when we tell people you're either one or the other, we shut down like the real physical bodily experience of almost everyone alive on earth today. Yes. 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 And we waste so much time, right? So much time hating ourselves, distancing ourselves, distracting ourselves from the work, which is to come home to ourselves and to love ultimately so that then we can create more love in our lives. It's it's heartbreaking what has been normalized in this culture and, and in this dominant culture and how much pain we're all carrying because of this original cut, the cut from the land that's then been, you know, continuously repeated in many different ways throughout our lineages. So uh, Australia is not your deep ancestral landmass. Um, North America is not my deep ancestral landmass. And yet here we are trying to do this work of cultural repair, raising children. And all, all that we can do from where we are is raise them in relationship with the land that we are living on. And is this what you're yes. doing? You're also unschooling. You are also birthing outside the system, sleeping with your babies. Um, you know, to me, this all feels very interrelated. I, I think it is for so many people. Maybe you choose one thing in your parenting path, but then that unlocks another door and another, and eventually you're like a radical unschooler. <laughs> Never thought you would be. <laughs> you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, it's really, what what's coming through for me right now is so, the severance from the land, right? From the great mother, however you understand her from planet, from mother earth. We repeat that through how we parent and how we are told that we should parent. This dominant culture celebrates separation. The sooner that you can separate from your baby and they can show themselves to be an individual and they can show themselves to be independent, the better. You're doing a good job. Your baby's sleeping through the night in their own room. You know, you're getting eight hours sleep. You're not, you're not feeding too much. And it starts in utero. It starts when we first find out that we're pregnant, you know, I'm speaking generally on a, on a cultural level that the first thing folks want to do is go to the doctor, 
get an ultrasound, do the tests, you know, get confirmation about what is going on in their body. And so we're outsourcing, constantly outsourcing. The separation is, you know, getting bigger and bigger and wider and wider and wider away from the baby, but also away from our primal nature and everything that our primal body, our primal self will tell us to do and guide us to do as parents, which is to hold that fucking baby so close, you know, so close and to be with that baby until it's safe and comfortable for both of you to start the gentle journey of separation. And so what we do with the land, we do to ourselves. What's been done to our relationship with the land, we then perpetuate on ourselves um, and on our babies. And it's, it's really fucking heartbreaking, Amber. It's really sad that it's become kind of countercultural to mother in a way that the ancient mothers have since time immemorial. Yes. Yeah, I love to talk about the word radical and how we use it today to mean totally outside the mainstream, super unusual, like the most unusual way you could do things, right? But the root of that word means root. R-A-D-I-C-L-E is like, you know, the, the radical of a plant is the root of a plant. So everything that the modern culture considers radical is just how humans lived for 99.999% of human histories, how all of our ancestors lived, free birthing, (laughs) breastfeeding, co-sleeping, eating animal foods, herbal medicine, everything that is considered unschooling radical today is actually the most fucking normal human activities. Yes. Yes. And what lives in that space between, right, between us and the primal mind, the primal knowing and the ancient mothers, that space between is, has, is the culture, the dominant culture that has never been sicker, that has never been more unwell, that has never been more depressed, anxious, right, violent. We are looking at birth outcomes that are utterly mind-boggling. They make no sense. All of these interventions, all of this separation from the primal experience, and yet no more lives saved. In fact, pushing out mothers, parents, children that are traumatized. And so starting their parenting and family journey from a place of deep trauma because violence has been perpetuated against them. And so that space between is the suffering, right? Is the violence that exists in this dominant culture. Yeah. Like let's not mince words. And I love that you don't, when it comes to birth, like modern hospital birthing is traumatic, deeply traumatic. Like I've heard so many women say they felt like it was rape. And then what happens to the babies too, it's a cellular imprint um, that they're not going to carry a conscious memory of, but it is deep inside the body. And we all walk around acting like it's normal. And like, you're weird. If you want to step outside of an abusive system that starts your family, like you're saying, from a place of trauma. Yes. And it's, we cannot dilute the message for, because for those that need to hear it, they need to hear it loud and clear. And it's really hard because we want to include everyone. We don't want to shame people for their experience, right? That is not the intention. When I speak about birth, I'm speaking from a systemic level, what the system has normalized and now what the dominant culture accepts as normal. 
which is so far from normal. What makes me rage so much is this story that then gets internalized by women and families that I failed. I'm a failure. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with my baby. I can't do this. Whereas birth is designed to have us walk, you know, go down through that underworld, come out the other side, feeling strong and powerful and capable and competent, having had a transcendent experience of the highest value that makes us think, holy fuck, I can do anything. I am an expression of creator. That is how it's designed. Yes, disclaimer, of course, we are grateful, right, for the medical system and intervention when it's necessary, but it is not necessary to the point that we have normalized in this culture. Here we've got, you know, it's, I don't even know, I can't, remember numbers don't stay with me because I'm more interested in story, but the level of intervention, I think we're up to 30, 40% cesarean rate. You know, the, the chance of actually having a normal vaginal birth, if you enter the maternity system in this country is slim to none without, without tools or drugs of some persuasion. Yeah. I mean, in some hospitals, it's up to 50% C-section rate. It it really is dependent on the culture of the hospital and then like the area and the region. And I always think about finding, um, you know, Ina May's book, Spiritual Midwifery, 20 years ago. And at the end, they had statistics for their births. And so I knew at the time that the average American C-section rate was about 33%. And their C-section rate on the farm in Tennessee, when they would have to transfer the hospital was 2%. And I just, that just like clicked something in my mind. Like it's not birth. It's not women's bodies. It's the hospital setting itself. And just the other day, I opened my Instagram messages to this woman being like, I'm in the hospital with my sister. She's in labor. They're, they're doing all this and that. And it's not what she wants. And, but we can't stop them. And I was just like, I, I'm so sorry that you, when you go to the hospital, that's what, that's, you know? Yeah. And it actually doesn't matter how much work you do. No, because you, you are one being within a beast, the belly of the beast. And each of those people, my father would call them policy enforcers. Right? That's what he calls cops, policy enforcers. And that's what happened. Of course, there are beautiful, wonderful midwives that are subverting the system within the system, right? But as a standard experience, these people are policy enforcers. They're not there to support your holistic well-being and make sure that you get the birth that you want. And this is what we need to, people think if I pay more money, right, I'm going to pay to see the best private obstetrician. That person is a surgeon. (laughs) And it's just, it's a cultural delusion that we're this spell that we're all under. And it is to me responsible for so much. Because if we can get in there when people are birthing and pregnant and we can shatter their sense of self and we can have them doubting themselves and leaving that experience feeling broken, then they are more vulnerable. They're more vulnerable to control, to consumption, to just going with the flow, right? The highest death, the cause of death in this country for a new mother is suicide. This is a matricidal culture. I'm thinking about what you said too, about when we birth, 
in power, when we birth unobstructed, when the hormonal blueprint of labor is allowed to unfold unhindered, it empowers us from day one in our mothering on levels we are below conscious levels. You know, it's, it's, it is cellular from that moment on that I am the mother of this being. I, my innate instinctual knowing is correct. Mm-hmm. I know what's best beyond what my elder relative, the book, Dr. Spock, the pediatrician, the culture, I mean, I think about, I just don't, I'm so grateful for my oldest daughter's birth that I, my little 25 year old self somehow had this notion that I'm going to free birth this baby and it's going to be beautiful and fine. And it was, and it was so easy for me from that point forward. It was effortless from that point forward to not go to the pediatrician because why she was totally healthy. We didn't need a well baby checkup to not put her in a cage down the hall and let her cry all night. You know, it's birth. I mean, I'm sure you can speak to this more eloquently, but birth remakes us. Birth reweaves us at a cellular level so that we can move forward from an empowered place in our mothering. It's designed that way. Yeah. That's why it is the way that it is. That's why we are asked to kneel at the altar of birth and to allow ourselves to burn so that we can then rise as a new version of ourselves, who is the mother, who knows what we are capable of. This is designed that way. We are meant to experience that pain. I'm, and I, I am not of the mind that we need to reframe pain. We need to try and minimize or breathe it away or whatever the fuck hypnotize ourselves. I don't, No, we can experience that. We can experience being absolutely broken down, crushed. Screaming. Yeah. And to to be in that primal space and to allow ourselves on every level to to die, right, On on some level. Yep. So that we can be reborn with that baby. And we can establish ourselves as the mother that that baby needs, that we need to be, and that the earth needs, right? Another mentor of mine, Jane Hardwick Collins, be the woman the earth needs now. And that's what birth gifts us. That is a gift available to us. But just how we are conditioned out of moving toward our emotional pain and our spiritual pain in in Western society. We are told to run from pain. And so it's unreasonable to expect that people can, will move powerfully toward the pain of birth. And I'm not just talking about physical pain. I'm talking about the absolute, you know, decimation of who it is that you were as your maiden self, your pre-child self. And to actually move toward that with palms open, you know, that I, that I surrender. I surrender to this transformation. Show me, teach me. And we, it's so heartbreaking to me, Amber, because when I support people and work with people who have that experience and seeing what, how it shapes them and the invitation that it offers to them, you know, who they can become, the mother that they can become from that place when birth is allowed 
allowed to unfold and allowed to provide the message that that mother needs to hear, that person needs to hear. It's the most beautiful, profound thing, healing on an individual and collective level. And then on the flip side of that, there's the women and families I serve who have navigated a system or birth hasn't gone the way that they wanted it to. And the ways that that impacts the spiritual experience of mothering. Yeah, I want to um, just like hold hold space for a second and send like my deepest love to the women who are listening right now in pain, crying because this was not their experience because they didn't know because they trusted a system that they didn't understand. Yeah. Thank you. Because that is not, this is such a huge cultural problem, a huge systemic problem, a huge spell that has been cast upon humanity that has separated us from the most normal experience that one can have, right? It's as normal as making love, orgasming, going to the toilet, breathing. Our body knows how to do this. You know, the majority of the time, most of us will know how to do this. And it is a systemic issue that has separated us from that knowing and from that capacity. It's not our fault. And that's what I want to say as well to, to families and women. It's not your fault. This is a huge beast that we are up against. And to me, there is nothing more important at this time in history than protecting birth and divesting from the spell, right? Like casting a new spell so that we can come home. It will it protect birth, we protect the earth. Protect birth, we protect that mother, we protect that baby and father and family. Therefore that ripple continues out into their communities. I want to share with you the the sort of peak moment from my oldest daughter's birth. Me, seventeen years this this summer, where we yeah we had decided to free birth um, halfway through and told the midwife thank you but no thank you and we weren't going to tell anyone but my mom figured it out and she I, we lived in Sacramento at the time and my grandmother who's now one hundred and one and still lives in Sacramento was there too and my mom had gotten the week off of work and she was staying with my grandma. And when I went into labor that night, we turned off our phones. We were like, we're handling this, you know, <laughs> And the next afternoon I was still in labor and it was starting to kind of get to the point where we were like, oh, okay, mm, what's going on. But I was like out of it. I was really tired, you know? And then my mom and my grandma showed up. They were like, they're not answering their phones. What the, this is my fucking daughter and my granddaughter and my great granddaughter, you know, from my grandma's perspective. And so they're like, we're going, even though they knew that we wanted privacy. And when they walked in the room, it was probably the best moment of my life. Like I just, they were angels coming in <laughs> and they were like, okay, you should probably get out of the tub. You know, once we caught them up, they're like, like change the energy up, use some gravity. And I was like, okay, you're right. You know, and they helped me out. I was shaking and I was so tired and I went and sat on the toilet. And I had that, that moment, you know, that every birthing woman has of like, I'm going to die. I can't do this. This is like the end of me. And then I closed my eyes and I, 
thought, you know, the woman who gave birth to me is standing right here. And the woman who gave birth to her is standing right behind her. And that is an unbroken line going back in time. Every single woman successfully gave birth to a daughter for me to be here right now. And then her father said, she's coming. (laughs) And she came out. And these are the stories that we need to hear and the energy that needs to be given back to us where it belongs. It needs to come home. Because that, that's true of every single woman on the earth. Every single woman in your maternal line successfully gave birth to a woman in order for you to even be here today. Yeah. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing. So beautiful. Just that image and knowing, you know, yeah, your mom was there your grandmother and your great grandmother. No, but I said that earlier because my grandmother's great granddaughter was being born, you know? And so that's my mom and my grandma were like, we have to be there. And then how the line continues, you know, the unseen line of the great grandmothers after that, all the way back to the first woman in your line. Yeah. It's, it's just so, so profound. And honestly, I'm, you know, this year I really need to stop. I really just want those stories to be shared so loud. And I need I need to stop this kind of mentality that I have of, you know, be careful of how you word things because I don't want people to be hurt by what I know to be true, my truth, right? Which is that physiological birth can truly heal humanity, can heal the relationship we have to the earth, to each other. It is of an it is an initiation of the highest value from my perspective, and we must protect it. Because soon, if we keep going the way that we're going, we're not going to know how a few generations from now, if they keep going with these cesarean rates and all of these interventions, it is going to reshape our experience and our capacity actually to actually do it. And the implications of that, I can't even bear to go there. And to think about it. That's when we're broken beyond repair. Exactly. Exactly. And if we want to, I know the stats are there. Some people want the research, right? Some people want the numbers and that information is all there for us to, to look at. For me, the stories of the women and the families is enough. For me, looking at the culture and seeing and knowing that this is a culture of violence, of disconnection and separation where all of us, so many of us are holding our breath like this, breathing up here in the top of our chest because our first breath was one of fear and violence and we've never learned to breathe properly from that point. Mm -hmm. Birth is a microcosm of the macro world. We look at how that system works and how the people that navigate that system are treated. It is a microcosm of the macro world. We see the archetypes that play out in our life, right? The authoritarian, the obstetrician, the the observation, constantly being observed, feeling like we don't have autonomy or power over our experience. The anesthetist constantly coming in to check and say, just letting you know, if it gets too much, I'm here. I can take your pain away. Mm-hmm. These are archetypes that have played out in our life. And will continue to play out in our life, the opportunities we have to disassociate from our, our experience, from our emotional landscape. You know, daddy, big brother, authority, right? Patriarchy. These are 
manifestations and archetypes of these things that have played out in our lives individually and collectively. And so when I'm working with people in preparing for birth, what archetypes do you have in your life? How are you moving through the world and in, in, and interacting with authority, interacting with the dynamics with your parents, right? Because it's all there, all the information we need about how we're going to navigate being in that system where all of that shit is just so fucking amplified and intense. We think we're not prepared for birth, but we've been preparing our whole life. I want to touch again on the importance of speaking truthfully about birth. I did an Instagram post a few days ago about how I've just kind of muzzled myself online and you, you know, you commented, I, I feel this. Um, and a lot of people did. And I, I mean, the women who really speak about birth in this way, they get so much. So there's like the hate of, there's the fearful attacks of this is so unsafe. How dare you? But then there's also like the fact that we're living in such emotionally immature culture and people think the internet should be their safe space where they're never triggered. And people are unable to differentiate this is the truth. This is the physiological truth of birth. I love Rochelle Garcia Saliga says truth is truth is truth is truth when she's speaking about birth and motherhood and postpartum from um, I had a different experience and you're shaming me, right? You're shaming me by speaking of another possibility. So I, and and that is not the case. And I have actually been like very vocal about that. That's like the one place where my my courage never fails me is that it is not shaming anyone to speak about physiological truth. And so I just, just thank you for being, for being a woman with a big following who is willing to not dance around this issue because it's so like, like we said, like we will be as a culture, as a species, broken beyond repair the day there's not a woman left who knows how to or is willing to birth in power according to her ancient physiological design because this is what it means to be human this is a life skill life skill is not only knowing how to birth which all of us do it lives in the primal brain but also to be with birth Right? to witness birth, to be with stories of birth, to know what it is, to know what somebody needs when they're in that portal. These are human skills that were once woven organically through family and community systems. Children know how to, knew how to tend birth, you know, to tend a birthing body. And it's we are being robbed robbed of our human skills and so many more though so many more people are waking up stepping out reclaiming their real life skills wanting to reclaim their real life skills and is there anything more real life than birth and knowing how to birth your own baby right and this is not like in this country in australia 99.9 percent of people will birth in the hospital very tiny fraction of people birth at home and then an even smaller unknown percentage free birth. So I probably know every woman in this country that's free birthed because there's so few of us. So we need to make the system safer. We do. And it's, it's all well and good 
you know, in this idealized version of how things would go down is that for me is everybody in the community knows how to tend birth. We know the herbs, we know, you know, how to sit in that space and bear witness. But the reality is this is the culture, the dominant culture that we live within right now. And it, it, it we do need to make the system safer. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> I don't know, but we have to keep, we have to keep talking. We have to keep sharing not only so people can make an individual decision for themselves that might be different to what, you know, the mainstream is telling them to do, but also so the policy enforcers within those systems might hear us, might see a different way, might be willing to subvert the system more, might be willing to advocate for more change. But again, my teacher Dr. Rocio Rosales says, when we work in these big systems, we aren't changing the system, we're mitigating harm. And that's all, that's what it is. And if you in in a system, in a big system, like the maternity system can mitigate harm for a family, great. And you have capacity to be in that space to do that, great, do it. I can't, I can't watch them do what they do in there. I can't bear witness to that. I do not have the capacity to do that. Yeah, I did a doula training, I think 20 years ago, I think it was 2003 and went through, you know, jumped through all the hoops to get that certificate and never did anything with it. Cause I was like, I know I cannot witness one hospital birth. I, I am too tender. I'm too empathic. I can't be there for that violence. So and instead I will birth my babies at home. And for a long time, I thought I'd be a midwife. And I just love now that I get to have this podcast and speak about birth with such wise women. And, you know, it's like, I'm thinking, I was thinking about how it's like how we've outsourced death is how we've outsourced birth. When, like you said, children knew how to tend birth, children knew how to tend death. This was the entire village, the entire tribe, everyone it was everyday life. It was not abnormal. Like I think so much today about how so many adults don't know how to be with kids at all. I've never held a baby and how that just would never have been the case for ancestral humans. And so I'm thinking about just what a massive amount of work it would be to, um, to really mitigate harm in those systems, to really restructure them, to actually support women and babies and bonding and the hormonal cascade of labor but just how every like little choice that we make as individuals and as families and as mothers kind of pulls at the thread, right? When we choose herbal medicine instead of pharmaceutical, when we choose unschooling instead of the school system, when we choose whatever, organic food over, you know, just so many little, little choices that we can all make. It feels like we're up against such a huge machine, but like each one of those choices affects each other choice. You know what I mean? Because it's all just shifting the culture bit by bit by bit by bit back towards our ancestral, primordial, biological reality. And what it does is gives others permission, right? Because everything exists in the landscape of unbounded potential, right? On a spiritual level, like everything is there as a possibility. And many of us are creating lives that we actually haven't seen before modeled for us. We are trying to be mothers that we haven't actually seen embodied in our own mothers or grandmothers or even mothers around us. And so each time someone steps into a more powerful expression of their life, we're pulling from that that landscape of the unbounded and we're, we're turning it into creation. And it creates a pathway 
for more people to do the same. And it's, if I had have projected my life when I was deep in substance abuse and, and in my, in my messiest, darkest days to think that I had the capacity to be doing what I'm doing now and living how I'm living now, no way. And this is what I say in my, in my mentorship group as well. We have to give ourselves permission to dream, even if it seems so unattainable, it seems so far away. It's only through allowing the seed of thought to be in our consciousness that we can move toward, that we can make change. It all starts from allowing ourselves to have the seed, the seed of willingness. Even if it's you're a single mom, that was my reality, right? Single mom living in the city, deep in substance abuse, totally in my trauma body, my pain body, working jobs that I hated, multiple jobs, studying at night, a mess of a human, somehow holding it together. I still held on to the seed that was, I can be well, I can be well. I don't know what that looks like. I can free myself from all of this. It can feel less messy. I don't know how right now, but I know that it's possible. And so that's it. We need to allow ourselves the space and the permission to dream. If we don't have a dream, nothing will fucking change. And so my dream is that we liberate birth, that birth is liberated within our minds, our bodies, our culture, so that mothers can be born and families can be born through power and peace and tenderness, and they can feel strong and they can lead their families. I want to see more mothers in leadership roles in our families so that that can ripple out into the community and we change the fucking world. And for me, my belief is that it starts at birth. Thank you, Amy. And thank you. I love that you, you spoke to the, having, having the dream, planting the seed, holding on to, what is possible the field of possibility is fucking infinite <laughs> we are we are in a cultural place although i do feel like we might be moving out of it now where hearkening back to our earlier words where people really want to be focused on victimhood and all the reasons they can't actually step out of where they've always been and who they've always been because of what has happened to them or what has happened to their people or what is what trauma has been perpetuated. And here you are like this living, shining example of all that can be true, all that can be there. And I can pluck from the field of infinite potential, the life that I want for myself and my children. And we can engage in, this is a time of cultural repair. I always say, this is, this is our work now. And I am in alignment with you that tending to birth mothers and babies is the foundation of this work. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm really feeling the call to share more about this. I call it the soil, right? The soil of where, from, from where I've grown because through story, and that's what we are as women, particularly storytellers, and we provide story medicine. We're so good at that. I'm sharing our stories and talking and gossiping mm. because then it allows people to see when, when they see others who have come from a similar soil that we can still plant the seeds and grow the harvest and it can look different to how it's looked for generations past. It's not a life sentence, right? Our trauma, our pain, our suffering, they're not life sentences. 
Do you know the um, root of the word gossip? Yes. I love it. Share it. I love it. So it's (laughs) God sib. God sib. Siblings in God. So you gossip with your sisters, you gossip with the the people who are closest to you, with your your God siblings. And like, I, I have never found that word to be offensive, even though it has been used against women as an offensive word for a long time. Like, I, I love gossiping. <laughs> so in the context of birth, they would call the women who would gather at a birth space gossips. Mm. And, and there's even songs in Rachel Reed's book, she shares some of the, you know, little ditties that the men had about the gossips mm-hmm. and their loose tongues because we'd go and we'd organize, yeah. you know, we'd, we'd talk about the men, we'd yeah. share our stories, we'd tell each other things that, you know, we wouldn't tell anybody else. And that's powerful story is the medicine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what is that? Happy, happy to be a gossip. Happy to be a gossip. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the book, Rachel Reed? Reclaiming Birth as a Rite of Passage. She is, is wonderful. Such a good book. Yeah. A beautiful place to start. She shares the history of modern obstetrics and even, you know, before that. So just the history of, of the rise of patriarchy and the suppression of the medicine women and yeah, really great book. Okay. Um, please tell everyone what, what your offerings are, where they can find you. Yeah. So I am a trained holistic counselor. So I trained in transpersonal art therapy after leaving a psychology degree because it was not how I wanted to provide care to people in my community. So transpersonal means to go beyond the personal, to go beyond the ego identity, to privilege the spiritual experience as highly as the mental, physical, emotional experience of being human. Um, So in that kind of therapy, we, we use a lot of creative outlets. So art, poetry, music, movement. So I work largely with birthing women and families, preparing them for birth. Uh, supporting them through motherhood, um, helping to divest from old value systems and create new value systems based on our primal need. And I offer one-on-one care, so connecting usually via Zoom with women all over the world um, in session and birth debriefing, postpartum care. I offer group mentorship containers. I'll be offering another one. In a couple of months. And yeah, I also really just look at birth as a map for all manner of life transitions. So even if someone is not birthing, we often look at their own birth and there's a lot to be found, a lot to be found in that place. Yeah. And everyone should follow you on Instagram. I will of course have, have links to you down there, but uh, it's really a joy there's everything you post all the time. I love and appreciate so much. And thank you so much, Amy. I'm, I value you highly. Oh, I value you highly also. Thanks for having me. I love talking to you. Right. If you like what you heard there, I really recommend heading over to patreon.com slash medicine stories and listening to my extended conversation with Amy. It is just as powerful 
And okay, if you're interested in joining me in Costa Rica, listen on. So as I shared in one of the more recent podcast episodes, I was contacted by a company called Trova Trip. And they make it extremely easy to lead retreats for folks, which I'd always been interested in, but just did not want to deal with the logistics in any way. And so they do that. And the destination was chosen based on a poll that over 200 of you all filled out and the right combination of place and price point was Sarapiki, Costa Rica. So that's where we're going between September 23rd and September 28th. Of course, I'll have the link to buy tickets in the show notes. There are up to 20 spots. I have no idea if they will sell out quickly or not. By the time you're listening to this, I will have already sent out a newsletter. So maybe it says, get ready to spend six days connecting with the rainforest, lovely people, and the peace that surrounds this national treasure. Serapiki is home to one of the most important rainforest areas in Costa Rica, with many other attractions around this natural paradise. So... We will fly in and out of Juan Santa Maria International Airport, which is SJO. All of this, all these details will be in the link. I'm just going to speak this for people who would like to hear it. Five breakfasts, five dinners, and one lunch are included. I chose to not have the schedule be like jam-packed. I chose to not teach any formal workshops. I want this to be like super relaxing for everyone, including myself. You know, I'm an introvert. Like, I love being with people, but I also need my downtime. So, there is an activity planned for every day. Some days there are multiple activities, but I wanted there to be a lot of time to chill and rest and just informally spend time together and getting to know each other. So, the main activities, though, are an organic farm tour at Finca Eco Organica Serapiki. On this tour, you will have the opportunity to increase your knowledge of a great variety of crops that are part of Costa Rican cuisine and that currently transcend its borders, even to other continents. It should be noted that all the crops and products of the Finca Eco Organica Serapiki are 100% organic, ecological, and with friendly practices with the environment. A- another activity is a guided forest therapy session. Three-hour guided meditative experience to connect with the forest and one another in a different way and learn about and experience the benefits of forest bathing. So this would be led by our guide on the ground in Costa Rica. And then a chocolate tour. This, <laughs> this is one of the things that made me want to choose this package. Uh, the cacao tree originated in Mesoamerica and has a rich and extraordinary history. The tour includes a walk across the Tirambina Hanging Bridge and an old to an old cacao plantation and through a forested section where you will observe how the product originally developed there. Our guide will reveal the secrets of transforming cacao fruit into chocolate. You'll see the chocolate making process firsthand and have the opportunity to treat your taste buds to real organic rainforest chocolate. And then there's a guided night walk tour. The walking tour allows you to discover the wonders of the nighttime tropical rainforest when most wildlife species are active. During this two-hour walk, you will learn about the natural history of different rainforest species with a focus on nocturnal species such as frogs, insects, spiders, sloths, 
kinkajous or possums, revealing a completely different perspective of the rainforest. And then there is the Poza Azul waterfall. It is great for wildlife watching, hiking, and swimming. To get here, you have to walk for about 15 to 20 minutes inside the rainforest. And then we are going to swim at that waterfall. It's beautiful. You can look it up online, Poza Azul, Blue Pool. And that's it. Those are our five days there. And then there's an optional San Jose sightseeing tour. Also, when we get back to San Jose for um, flying back home. So yeah, I've never done anything like this. I, again, really appreciate this company, Trova Trip, for making it super easy for me. And my hope is that this is the first of many different trips to different destinations. I have never been to Costa Rica. I don't know if I would have gotten myself there if it weren't for um, you all choosing that in the poll, but I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, check it out in the show notes. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and always put any relevant links in the show notes, which you can find by just scrolling down from wherever you pushed play on this episode. You can find all past episodes and our handmade herbal medicine at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, St. John's wort, mugwort, yarrow, redwood. We've got body oils, sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, and more. While you're there, be sure to check out our fun quiz, which healing herb is your spirit medicine? It's lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your time. There are dozens and dozens of killer bonuses there, ebooks, bonus conversations, uh, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning, coupon codes, behind the scenes stuff. And the best of it is available at the $5 a month level. And it literally makes the show possible. You can also subscribe or follow. Uh, depending on which podcast app you prefer. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. That's M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U. Thank you, my beautiful friend Marie. And thank you for listening. I look forward to next time. Mm-hmm.